All right. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever the hell you happen to be in the world. <laughs> it's Dashian Miller, and we're here with this week's episode of Kudan Radio. I'm not in the middle of a, uh, an earthquake. If you're on video and you saw things shaking around, uh, my table seems to be a little off. I'm still in my makeshift office. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, that'll change. But anyway, so um, we're going to be talking about being a ninja, right? So... Uh, couple of questions, right? If you caught the, the little, uh, slides and whatnot that we put up, right? Uh, questions like what kind you want to be and all that. Um, we're going to talk about different types of ninja. And everybody has this, has this image, right? But I want to ask a different type of question tonight as well, right? That might, might help people progress a little bit better. I hope so anyway, right? Um, because there can be this this idea of cognitive dissonance, right, where thoughts aren't really reconciling, and that can actually derail us, right? So anyway, we'll talk about that and more as soon as we get through the intro. So the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kudan Radio, real training for real people in a real world. And that's my story. Anyway, I was just joking with James. Um, I made a promise, right, for this, uh, for this episode and then I realized that um, I couldn't fulfill on it because uh, the book, uh, the books that I was going to be referencing from uh, are in storage. But, you know, me, I'll figure out a way. Right. So uh, I just I, uh, had James pull his off of his uh, uh, library, bookshelf, whatever. Right. So um, we're going to go into a couple of different types of ninja as we go. But what I think is really, really important is in, especially in the beginning, right? There's a couple of things that, that are really necessary. This word ninja, ninjutsu, uh, you know, whatever, right? These things are thrown around a lot, a lot, right? Right up there with warrior, enlightenment, wisdom, uh, whatever, you know? Um, and sometimes, maybe more often than sometimes, I get the 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 it's not a feeling right i mean all i have to do is have a conversation with somebody right and if we're going to establish a teacher-student relationship then i'll actually ask obviously if we're within a student-teacher relationship then i ask all the time right but if we're not and it's probably not going to go anywhere then i just leave people alone right you can believe anything you want but it just seems like anybody that has a rough idea of ninjutsu being a blending of, right? It looks like this is mixed with that and whatever, right? And people are just slapping a name on it, okay? Now, the reality is that there are many different types of ninjutsu. There are many different types of ninja, okay? Uh, if you happen to have a copy of Dr. Zaguri, Kasem Zaguri's book uh, on the ninja, Starting on page 141, oh, anyway, the joke, 
right? Because I'm about to do this again, right? The joke that I just had with James, James is smiling in the background, probably even laughing, right? Um, when I asked him to pull out one of these books for references, right? Um, I said, at first I threw out the wrong name, right? Wait, 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 that's not it, right? Okay, so pull out this book, right? And it's toward the back of the book, because sometimes I don't know the exact page number, but it's in the back of the book, right? And you're going to look for this particular graphic. And then there are, right? And I said, um, you know, uh, it's pretty bad when I can uh, just tell you what book and what section and whatever, right? Um, now, I'm being facetious with the it's pretty bad, right? Because anybody that knows their topic, if they've done their research and things like that, you should be able to go back to things. But I think that speaks to, and again, not me ringing my bell, anybody that does this thing, right, that is an actual student and recognizes the, the like the learning process and all those kind of things, right, will have read and reread the same books, maybe not from cover to cover, but if you're researching a topic or you're going back to refresh uh, your memory about certain things, or you just recognize that, look, the first time I read it, I was at this level, right, which means I came part and parcel with a certain level of understanding, a certain level of newness or experience or whatever with the topic. And so, yes, I understand the words I'm reading. But do I understand the concepts? Do I comprehend what I'm reading? Well, yeah, I mean, I know what it says. Okay, so if you've been around for a year or two and you read something when you first got started, go back and reread it again, okay? If it still means the same thing, then an expansion of consciousness, right? In Mikyo, we, we call this a turning in the seat of consciousness when your level of perspective, awareness, understanding, and all that elevates, right? It goes to a different place, and you're able to see things you could never see before. They were all right there in front of you, but you couldn't see them, okay? So I have my students reread the same kind of, the, the same chapter, the same uh, thing, right? And... uh you know, do it with a notebook in front of you, right? Because chances are things that you read before and you, I'm making air quotes, right? You understood before are going to take on a whole new meaning, okay? So those people understand that and have reread and, and whatever, right? They don't just, they didn't just buy the books, right? Glance over them or read them through quickly to say that they have it and they've read it, right? They tend to know where to find things, okay? Now we have databases and all kinds of things. So if I want to do a seminar and I'm doing a breakout session on Onikudaki, right? Uh, one of my friends and I are actually working on a project creating a student workbook where you'll actually be able to log your techniques and things. And if I have my way, um, you'll be able to do a cross search on these things. So, and again, we're working it around what I would use it for, whether or not anybody else is going to use it for the same reasons or that, that functionality or not. But let's say I'm doing a breakout session on Onukodaki. And so I could either um, do techniques, right, Rondori style, right, free response, and be able to slip into Onukodaki because I know how to get into Onukodaki, right? Um, or if I'm doing it from more of a traditional base, or 
how it shows up and how it manifests across different lineages, I can just do a search on Onikodaki, right? At this point in my, in my career, I have to know what techniques tend to have that in it. Or there's a potential of finishing an Onikodaki as a variation because it does the same thing that the original is. Anyway. So, but anyway, I'm, anyway, the back to the joke, right? So I'm, I'm pointing this stuff out to, to, uh, to James, right? And we've got this little laugh going on because I'm, I'm directing him, right? Because I, the book I had him pull off, um, I don't think it has a, a table of contents, um, if I'm correct, right? I mean, some of these books have tables of contents. Some have, uh, like a glossary in the back of terms, like Hatsumi Sensei's book on stick fighting, right? Uh, there is not a table of contents or not one that's really big to speak of, right? Um, but there is a glossary of terms in the back, okay? How do I know that? Well, I refer to that a lot. Um, but that being said, right, if you have Dr. Zaguri's book on the ninja, um, which, by the way, was translated from French into English, the joke we had uh, way back just before it was uh, it was in the final editing process to come out, right? Um, he said the next time I write a damn book, it's going to be I'm – I'm just going to write it in English because he, he speaks English fluently, right? But what he did was he wrote it in French, which means that he took a Japanese thing, translated it into French to write his manuscript, his draft, and then he needed to get students who understood both the Japanese and who were fluent in French to convert that into English. And it just took, like, forever. But anyway, so if you have the book, right, beginning on page 141, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, which means this is in the appendix section. That book has more appendixes than I've ever seen in one that, in a book that's been put out for the average person um, uh, pretty much ever, right? But what you're going to run into are about seven pages in small print of different names for the ninja and what they did and, and all those kind of things, right? So, and that I think that's a good place to be because most people get their head wrapped around ninja, but the word ninja itself is a relatively recent term, right? I mean, like within the last hundred years, okay? And I know for a lot of folks, right, you were born in 1983 or whatever, right? Well, a hundred years, that's not, that's, that's not recent. Yeah, it is, okay? In the context of something that's been around for over 2,000 years. But the lineages have only been, I don't mean when they were formalized, right? Again, if we're reading our history, right? And that's just, that's just for starters, that 2,000 years, right? So, um, but if we can understand these names and what they're pointing to and which aspect of our training or the aspect or the specialization that any particular operative was an expert at or any particular member of the family was an expert at, right? So we're also going to talk, talk about a couple of um, types of ninja that you don't even have to train for. How about that? That'd be cool, right? Okay. For a lot of people, they can just keep doing what they're doing, right? They can just, you know, I'm already there. I'm already a ninja. Right. So, um, but here's the thing, right? Uh, the, the, the first question is, what kind of ninja do you want to be? So we're going to talk about some of these, 
right? Because the reality is, is that, you know, the, the kind of ninja that I aimed for when I was much younger, right? So police officer, security expert, that kind of thing, right? I needed a certain type of skill set, right? And so I was, I was attracted, like most people, right? To a certain thing. Of course, at that point too, I also thought that a ninja was what most people today think a ninja is, right? But now at 60, I just turned 60, right? The body the way it is and where my focus is, there's an allure to be one of two other types, one leading, but a recognition that I need the skill set of another one so I can kind of flip back and forth, right? And then within the context of the dojo, right, it's a ninja dojo, right? I need to take a certain role, train people to be in another position, and then – so th- this is – it's deeper than what most people think of, right? But what, what I'd like to do is start where most people fantasize, okay? And I really do believe that it's a fantasy, okay? Because most people are not willing to do the amount of work that's necessary for the type that most people think of, let alone diving into skill sets that they don't, think, they don't see the connection, right? And they don't want to be, I'm making air quotes again, right? They don't want to be that type of person or they don't see themselves that's not natural for me that's not whatever okay so even again going back to that original thing right um, this is a big part of the ninja no hachimon program it's a big part of a lot of our training where people throw this word around they tell they throw the, the the art around or the name for the art around when really they're doing like one-tenth of one percent, maybe, right? You know what? I'll be generous. They're doing 10% of the art itself, right? But they're slapping the name for, like, everything on top of it, okay? It's like, you know, it's like saying, um, you know, uh, I'm an expert driver, right? Um, in, In what area? In what field, right? Because... If you can drive a two and a half to four ton, I don't remember the exact number, right? Stretch limousine that's bulletproof, right? And rocket launcher proof, the president's vehicle, right? At 60 miles an hour, backwards on a serpentine course, then, see, because that's a certain type of expertise, right? Or even driving a, you know, a, a Le Mans race car, which is different than what, you know, uh, for dune buggy races or uh, these guys that are in four wheelers and climbing up mountainsides and stuff like that, right? They're all different skill sets, okay? But it's easy to, to just throw in just a general term and lump everything together because it's easier to describe. It's easy to fantasize about, but it's really difficult to do. It's really difficult to do, right? It's like when I ask a student what they're working on, and they say, well, pretty much everything, right? I already know that they're working on, like, next to nothing, right? Um, because 
I see them regularly in class and nothing has changed, right? But to say that you to say that you're working on everything, right, is already a cop out. Because no one can work on everything. It's impossible. And if you're really if you're really training, the more you learn, the more how the more you understand how difficult it is to practice. Because you can't practice everything. You don't have enough freaking time. Even if you were doing this, you know, as a full-time job, so to speak, right? You just can't, right? There's too many skill sets, right? Especially if everything's lumped together. So um, I'm going to start with this, the, the, the general conception. And that's where I'm pulling in some of these things from a book that I had uh James uh, pulled out for me because, again, I realized that my stuff is in storage because of the house fire. I should have everything back soon, but we'll see what happens. Um, and then we need to progress a little bit, right? We need to look at some of these other areas because there's other questions to be asked, okay, that I don't think most people give any thought to, right? The first question is, what the hell is needed to? Right? There's many different types, right? But what is it that we're talking about, right? Because most people are doing Budo Taijutsu, maybe Ninpo Taijutsu, right? Because they caught the name, right? But most people that are doing Ninpo Taijutsu are really doing Budo Taijutsu, right? Um, they just like an alternate name because they don't understand the difference. Um, but they're doing that with maybe some weapons training, and then just slap it on the band-aid called, or the, you know, the, the, the wrapper called Nijutsu. But even in the Ninja Hachimon, we're only looking at eight training areas, right? Ninja no Tajutsu, or what we more uh, conventionally now call Ninpo Tajutsu, right, is only one aspect, right? It's only one aspect. And... It's a variation and an upgrade on Budo Taijutsu. Because a ninja doesn't just know the, let, let's say we're doing the, the, uh, Togakure school's, um, 18 levels of training, right? It's not 18 levels of training. It's 36 areas of training. Okay. The list of 18, I know everybody's recited or they memorized them, right? Or some people have memorized them, right? It's right there in the book, dude. It's in Hatsumi Sensei's Nijutsu Ishiro Tradition. It's here. It's here. It's all over the internet. Yeah, I understand, right? But it's 36, okay? Because the ninja were required to know the 18 conventional skill sets of the samurai or the bushi at whatever era they were operating in. Everything in ninjutsu is a variation, right, on budo, right? Well, how do you vary something if you don't know it, right? And how do you beat it if you don't know it? So the ninja required to know the uh, buge, uh juhapan, right? The eighteen training areas of the ninja of the of the samurai, right? This is from the Tobakure school thing. All ninja schools had to know at least the base eight ninja no hachimon, right? So, but in the in the eighteen on the Tobakure side, you have the eight and then a shit ton more, right? So, oh, by the way, I just found out that some of my, um, some of the parents of newer students at my dojo, 
um, have been watching my Kuden, which is great, right? But they're also allowing their children to watch. Um, this is at an adult level, and sometimes I let certain language slip. So either you're liberal enough to let that happen, which I'm, I wasn't for my kids, and I'm not for my grandkids. So I'm generally not okay with it. Okay, but I'm not. Uh, I'm also not going to filter this because it's an adult program. Okay, so I'm not going to change things because sometimes I need to call people out on things, and sometimes I need to say things in a way that is a punch. So it's either going to wake them up or it's going to offend them and they'll go away. Right? It depends on how important this is. Okay? We can always find somebody who'll say things the way we want it said or to teach things that we want to learn or that we, uh, that, that's, you know, it's, it's the, they'll let us get away with certain things, right? They'll lower standards to the degree to which I'm willing to go. Okay? And that's all fine, right? People self-select. Okay? And that's part of understanding what type of ninja, right? But one we need to understand, and, and this episode is not about going into that thing, right? We're going to talk about different ninja. We're also going to talk about the skill sets that each of those need. Right? But there's some other personal things that are involved as well. That's going to be a whole other question. Okay? And so, uh, anyway, we'll, 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 we'll let that go at that, right? So I see numbers coming in, going up, going down like they normally do. It is what it is, right? So anyway, right? So the question is, what type do you want to be? Okay, so I'm going to start really broad, right, generally the way a ninja family is laid out, right, and if you've been around for a while, you know what these things are. If you haven't, then maybe this will be new, okay, and if you think you already know, then, well, we'll see, okay, but as we go through, we're going to take a look at subsets in those, okay, especially the one that everybody fantasizes about. There's a butt ton of, of subsets. And this comes right out of the, the Bonsen Shukai, different types of ninja operatives, okay? The Genin, right? Genin means low man, okay? Just the, the, the people that, you know, are running around and doing the secret stuff and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, we want to talk about personality traits, okay? Character traits that are absolutely imperative, right? Um, because of some of the positions or jobs or whatever, that these people were in, how a lot of this can appear to be similar to modern spec ops and, and you know, secret societies and, you know, whatever, right, CIA, NSA, Mossad, whatever, but how there's a lot that's different as well, okay? Um, but we really keep coming back to what type, okay? Um, so anyway. Right. So, again, the general structure of a ninja family was uh, Jonin, right? High man, right? It's only one. There can only be one, right? There's one, right? Um, and they, there's a whole bunch to that, right? But conventionally, we would say, uh, you know, and a lot of people, when they read this stuff, it's like, well, that's like the way the mafia is set up. Well, there's lots of organizations that are set up this way, right? Just like in every corporation, there's only one CEO, Right. 
you have too many freaking people calling the shots, and what you have is a bunch of people doing nothing or tripping over each other. Okay? Um, there were a couple of governmental uh, structures that was tried that were tried out in the Nordic countries, right? And they failed miserably, right? Like within six months of the term or the first term that these um, these people were in, right? And they tried doing the we'll all just share responsibility, and it didn't work so well, right? But anyway, right? So there's Jonin, right? And then there's Chunin, middleman, middlemen, right? Um, these people tend to be uh, we'll think about management, right? Okay. But, um, again, what type and, and where are we and what we're, what are we doing? Okay. But by and large, right? All the movies, right? All the, uh, all the books, you know, whatever, right? The stuff that people really just jump on, right? Is this lone warrior who's able to run up walls and scale things and, and take on you know, a mafia army, you know, with that are armed with like Uzi and they're just going to do it with throwing stars and a, and a sword and whatever. OK. Um, but they're the ones doing the work, right? They're the pawns on the chessboard. They're the. Yeah. OK. CS, uh, uh, not CSI, um, CIA, NSA, whatever. Right. These are the guys that are out collecting the information. They're the they're the field operatives. Right. They're the ones sneaking into places or whatever. Right. But are they? Right? Well, maybe, right? Um, in the first video set that Hatsumi Sensei put out in English way back in the 80s, right? It was a two-volume set. Um, one of the things that was outlined were ninja teams, right? With different ways to uh, capture a samurai, right? Somebody's there with a sword, and all you and your two buddies have are... Um, Long stabs, right? There's ways for a team to move through an area, right? Um, stealthily, right? So everybody's, maybe everybody's doing Yoko Uruki, right? But this reminds me of my bodyguard work because everybody's keeping their eye on a certain area, a certain direction, okay? Even they're all, though they're all moving the same way, okay? So, uh, are we taking that into account, right? Um, or are we naturally a lone wolf kind of person, so we're fantasizing about being basically a superhero, right? Um, because if we don't play well with others, right, then we're not going to do well as a part of a team. And sometimes you need to be part of a team, okay? Um, so, but anyway, right, so again, game, right? Um and again, you know, everything from the, the from the outfit to whatever, right? Um, you know, if you're sitting around in your regular everyday clothes right now, then you're dressed like the perfect ninja, okay? When you go to work, you're dressed like the perfect ninja, right? Okay? Because you should be wearing that which makes you invisible or nondescript or just kind of fit in so well with the with the environment. And everybody else that you just don't stand out, right? The more everyday, unassuming you can be, the more ninja-like you actually are. I know it's not it's not the way the movies are, right? Right. Except that when the guy gets caught, it's 
it's obvious <laughs> who he is, what he is, that kind of thing, right? Okay. Uh, I've, I've had students in the past that once they joined the school, they wore their freaking jikatabi everywhere. And I used to warn them, you better not be getting your ass in trouble because all tabi prints lead back to warrior concepts. And if they lead back here, you and me have a problem, right? So, but again, generally speaking, people don't think big enough, okay? Um, but let's do this. So um, when we think about operatives, right, um, what are they doing, right? Are they going to a place, right, because they were sent out and they're going to gather information? Okay, great. How? Where? Right? Are they sneaking into a castle or uh, whatever and gather, getting, you know, getting the information like James Bond sneaking into a place, right? Getting it, sneaking back out, or their, you know, place catches on fire or whatever, but nobody sees the person acting, right? Is it that? Or are they going in and living among the locals as a tradesman? or as a farmer, or whatever, right? Most ninja, most gaining had everyday jobs. Nobody had any clue, right, that they were doing things, right? Takamasa sensei, Hatsumi sensei's teacher, right? my teacher's teacher. Nobody had a clue that he was a ninja until his obituary, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, he ran a noodle shop. He flirted with women all the time, and he had a cat that everybody knew. That's how they knew him, right? Everybody was absolutely surprised to find out that he was the grandmaster of the Turakure ninja lineage after he passed. That's a ninja, okay? So they're living among the locals, and they're gathering information that way, right? But now, how do I get the information back? Because the one guy steals in, gets whatever it is, sneaks out, and goes back to home base and turns over the information. But the guy that's living among everybody and doing a job, how do they get the information back? Okay? We can get hints and things like that from the way, you know, modern uh, intelligence organizations work that way as well. But, right, um, I would suggest that um, – you know, once I got out of law enforcement and I began teaching and all that kind of stuff, my focus shifted to that kind of a ninja because I was first and foremost a dad and a husband, right? Ran a business, whatever. Yeah, it was a martial arts school or I had a, a private investigation agency or whatever, right? But um, my focus was on paying attention with, to what was going on in my community and using that information to make decisions for Parenting, you know, protecting my family, that kind of stuff, right? So, again, how are we using it, right? Um, let's let's dip into James there. We'll have James pop. Um, I'll pop him up here unless he's already getting to the switch. I got it. Beat you to it. So anyway, <laughs> right? So James happens to have the book now. Um, the book that we're going to read for, or he's going to read from, right, is Ancient Art of Ninja Warfare. It's written by Stephen Hayes. Okay. There's a lot of contention about this book, okay? Read my lips. I don't give a shit. I don't care, 
Okay? James thinks it's funny, but I don't. Right? People get themselves all caught up in things that don't matter to their training. Because all that's ever mattered to me was that I got the information. I got the lessons. I don't care if the Budo winds blew it to me or somebody who identified as my teacher gave it to me or I don't care. Okay? Because if I do care, then I'm letting political bias, right, get in the way of whether or not something is useful to me. Okay? And we'll talk about something that's related to that, right? Uh, uh, dissonance, right? Um, not conscious dissonance. What the hell is it? Cognitive. Um, Cognitive, thank you very much. Cognitive dissonance, right? Which gets in the way of a lot of people's um, uh, training and progress. But we'll talk about that later on when the second question comes around. Okay? Second really big big question. Right? So, um, James, why don't you start with the uh, Katsura man, right? So, this is partially English. And it, anyway, right, so and I, I should probably not leave a loop open at this point, right? But the, the thing is... It's not just because it's Stephen Hayes, right? I mean, um, we'd all be doing freaking Taekwondo or whatever if he hadn't brought this stuff back because everybody else that went to Japan after him and Doron Devone actually before that, and he was doing stuff in the Middle East, right, in his, Israel and whatnot, um, had he not brought the stuff back and wrote a whole bunch of books and made this stuff popular, right, all the other people that hate his guts for one reason or another or are, are now – you know, in significant positions or did train and then jump ship or whatever, right? They all came afterwards. They were all originally his students or they decided that they, you know, out of reading one of his books or whatever, would fly off to Japan and do it that way, okay? Either way, right? So the contention is because the book is a translation, right? It's not word for word, but it's a translation of parts of the Bonsen Shukai, 10,000 rivers leading to the sea, right, which is what Bonsen Shukai means, okay? It was a nine-volume plus tail volume. It's a ten-volume set, but it's numbered one to nine because nine, that's a whole other episode, right? Nine is a very, very important number in uh, Nijutsu, right? So the tenth volume couldn't be named ten because nine is the highest number, right? Yes, they could count higher than nine, okay? Everybody starts to make assumptions and their head starts spinning, right? Again, if you don't do the historical research, then you don't understand how we're talking about, right? Because all that really matters is can I do an Ichimonji, can I do a Shito, and can I do a Ganseki Nage, right? Because that's, you know, that's pretty much where people stop. Anyway, um, so anyway, we'll get off the whole buns and Chukai kind of thing, right? So it's bits and pieces. A lot of people um, – whether they dislike him or don't care or it doesn't matter where they are on the, on the fence. Right. Um, they just thought that he should have credited that he was translating part of the Bonsen Chukai, but it's not like translations that came out by Anthony Cummins or some of these other folks. Right. Um, you know, whatever, we'll talk about the Shoninki uh, here in a minute, but um it was it was his it was his um, take on it, right? 
He does the footnotes and all that kind of stuff, right? Again, I will say this. I don't care. I don't care. Okay? Because just about every book that we could find by an expert, unless the person is writing it to get brownie points for their academic achievements, you're not going to find, or they're actually like a, a university level uh, researcher and whatnot, like Dr. Zaguri's book. Okay, there is a shit ton of of uh, footnotes and all that kind of stuff. But all the footnotes do is refer you to a given book where he pulled that kind of knowledge, where he got it, or whatever. Right, so you know that he just didn't make it up or whatever. But in all honesty, right, um, I know that most students don't even read the friggin' books. Right. Or if they do, they don't read it more than once. And it was a cursory level reading. Right. They were waiting to find the, the chapter with the pictures. Right. For more techniques. They were looking for the entertainment stuff. OK. So why would we take the extra time to write a friggin book? Well, all these footnotes with with name of book and chapter and all that kind of stuff that nobody's going to go look up anyway. OK. Just a thought. Okay. Um, and again, I don't care because my take is on, I don't care where it came from, right? I trusted he got historical stuff and, you know, and ultimately it's going to come from historical areas anyway. Okay. If that's a problem for other people, well, then that's your problem, not mine. Anyway, right? So if we're talking about a gaining, right? Gaining level operative. Okay. Again, people tend to lump everything together. But again, if we don't know what we're thinking about or if we don't know what we're talking about, right, then we're shooting in the dark, okay? And we're probably basing our training off of the last ninja movie we watched or the most influential ninja movie we watched or whatever, okay? So anyway, so um, again, I don't have it right in front of me. James is going to have to do this part. So um, uh, we'll, we'll just do that, right? And again, this is from Ancient Art of Ninja Warfare, Right, so I am referencing it strictly for copyright use issues that might pop up, so that um, you know we're not just reading from something, or I'm presenting it like, you know, because he is going to do word for word. I mean, you know, it's just that kind of thing. And I'll stop you when it just becomes a little bit where the minutia is just too much. Um, but let's start with the, uh, the, and again, part of it's in Japanese, part of it's in English, whatever. Right, so. Uh, go ahead and start with the Katsura man. All right. Katsura <clears> Otoko <throat> Nojutsu no was a three-step process employed for the purpose of placing ninja in a potentially dangerous territory during peaceful times. A popular old Chinese legend told of graceful Katsura trees that were said to grow on the moon. Coincidentally, the ninja of Japan often used the moon as a metaphor to refer to an enemy of the family. Therefore, the Katsura became the symbol for the ninja group's agent on the inside of the enemy's territory. Far away from familiar faces and sights, the Katsura Otoko ninja was as cut off and on his own as the man on the moon. Okay, so what kind of skill sets does this person have to have? Okay. I mean, we all have the general ones that we're all supposed to have, right? Um whether we're talking about the historical Nijno Hachiman base eight or what that would look like in today's world. Okay. But as a person, right, 
how well adapted are we to new and different situations? Right? Okay. So there's a whole bunch of skill sets that go with that kind of thing, right? Being cut off, right? Um, and I don't know if this one pops up in there or not, believe it or not, even though I quoted pages and sections and all that, right? Um, often the ninja was just a military advisor, like a special forces guy um, that, or a mercenary, ex-military that might be hired by an army or a, a security group or whatever to be a trainer or a consultant or whatever because they have a unique perspective on the threat, threat potential, uh, whatever, right? Uh, that's the kind of position I get hired into in corporations when I go in as a workplace violence consultant, okay? It, it's that kind of a ninja advisor, right? Because I'm looking at things very differently, right? Um, and I'm not spewing the same thing that these people can go look up on Google or, you know, um, I remember an HR manager once um, said, you know, because I kept pointing out, look, that I'm not going to be rehashing the same stuff you can go read, right? You're hiring me for my perspective and the ability to set you up in a way that potential attackers can't prepare for, right? Because if you're doing the same shit that everybody else is doing, based on conventional security processes, then anybody that knows those can hack your system. And I don't mean computer system. I mean they, they can have their way with you. Okay? Just if this goes back to our Taijutsu, right? If you fight like everybody else and you're up against somebody who has some experience at fighting, he knows what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. He's seen it before. He can read your body, that kind of stuff, right? So if you're doing things the same way everybody else is, then it's potluck, right? That's not, that is not the ninja way, right? So, so anyway, right? Okay. So um, I hinted at the guy, you know, being placed, right? But again, it's during peacetime. It's, you know, that'd be like moving to an area um, because you want to be closer to, um you know, a source of anything, right? I mean, people that are that are avid hunters and whatnot, right? Um, if they're living in the city, it's harder to pack up your stuff and go and, you know, do this stuff. Um, same thing with fishermen or whatever. That's why, you know, these people end up dropping more money and doing specialty tours than people that are actually, they're immersed in that. Right. So they live in those areas where it's easier to do it. You can do it faster. You can become an expert way faster. That kind of stuff. Right. Because you're immersed in it. But at the same time. Right. You're, you're also around other people with the same kind of uh, skill sets that you want to have. Right. You're going to be hearing from the older guys who have been doing it for a long time and all that kind of stuff. Right. So you put yourself where the information is. Right. Not to say that that. People who live in the cities can't be avid hunters, but what's the chance that they're in a group, like in their in their their local, you know, where, around where they live, around where they work, or whatever, where there's going to be more than maybe the rare single person that you can chat with, right? And then are you actually, you know, does that constitute a group where you're you're running into somebody that knows? 
significantly more than you do so that you can produce greater results, right? Anyway, so that's the cost of demand. What's, uh, what's another one? <coughs> what? Um, that, there's somewhere between seven and nine on there, right? There's, um, and again, people can go look for these things. But again, if you go to – Ten, okay. If you go to Dr. Zaguri's book, there's way more than ten different names that the ninja had, depending on era, context, expertise, uh, you know, whatever, right? Um, and also some of those names were names given to these people from the outside, right, as opposed to the ninja coming up with the name. Right. It was a way for people, military, whatever. Right. To refer to these people who were experts at. Right. Or to identify people who were like. OK. Um, anyway, like the word ninja itself. Ninja. Right. Nin can either mean perseverance. Right. Endurance. The, the ability to put up with overcoming odds, that kind of thing. Right. Or it can also be translated as patience. OK. Nin, right? And then Ja, J-Y-A or J-A as we often write it in English, right? Ja is a person, okay? So ninja is an enduring person. It's someone able to, to put up with and handle challenges that would just make most people wet themselves, okay? The nin symbol itself, right, is a blade. It's actually the edge of a blade, right, or the dangerous part of a blade over a heart, most people are going to recognize it as even though the enemy holds his weapon or his blade at my heart, I'll persevere or I might have to be patient until I can actually act, whatever, right? Um, but a Chinese friend of mine told me that actually the way most Chinese people see it is even though the enemy has his blade in my heart, I will persevere. I will endure. Okay, I'm not going to quit until my heart stops. Okay. That significantly raises the bar beyond the point where most people aren't willing to go. Okay? So I can see where people would tend to gravitate more toward the, I just want some, some fight skills, and I want to be able to talk about it. Um, I can see where that would be just the easiest place to go. Okay? Because to be able to endure things, right? I mean, most of you know the story, I hope, anyway. And if not, well, here it is. Right? When Hatsumi Sensei first met Takamatsu Sensei, right, he was bragging about all of these arts that he knew, all these ranks that he had, and Menkyo Kaiden, and all that kind of stuff, right? And Takamatsu Sensei listened patiently, and then when Hatsumi Sensei was done throwing up all over him, right, telling him about all of his, you know, grand exploits, right, why you would need to go looking for another teacher if that's what you're going to lead with. Right. Um, it's kind of like telling your teacher, I know when they give you some critique. Well, if you know, well, shit, I don't need to talk to you. Right. Okay. But anyway, um, Takamasa say looked at him and said, yeah, but can you survive? Survive what? Doesn't matter. Whatever comes up. Do you have the skills to be able to survive challenges? At its very core, that's what a ninja is. The word ninja itself means an enduring, persevering, right, patient, whatever, person. Someone able to complete the mission no matter what. Unless it kills you, you are going to make it. 
maybe I'm talking people out of training and need to do. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Right. Okay. These are important questions. Okay. This points to something more significant than what are you going to learn me? Right. What are you going to teach me, Sensei? Well, the first thing I'm going to teach you, if you were coming to my dojo, is how to develop the habit of coming to class routinely twice a week. Because most people don't even have that damn skill. And until you develop that habit, you're not going to see regular consistent progress. Anyway, so, uh, all right, what's another one? Let's keep it as close to gaining as possible that most people think of. Uh, the second one is called The Shadow. Uh, it involves the establishment of a spy in enemy territory at a time when there were not yet any hostilities. Uh, Joe Nojutsu was a tactic whereby a large number of ninja were dispatched to join the enemy forces right before a war was about to break out when the ninja could feel the hostility and tension build was the time to send the team of secret agents into action. The Joe name applied to this strategy reflects the fact that as soon as the Nisho could detect the feeling of war breaking out, he would follow like a shadow with the dispatch of his ninja. Okay, so what's the difference between that and the Katsura man? Right. One is placed in peacetime and is probably living by himself, right? He's a conduit for information about what's going on in that area, in that territory and whatnot. Now what we're talking about is moving a whole bunch of people into the area um, like they just immigrated in, right? So we're going we're gonna to live there and whatnot because things are starting to build. And what happens at a certain point in that building between hostilities is armies start to recruit, right? So as soon as they start to recruit, right? So these people have moved in ahead of it. But as they start to recruit, then these guys can raise their hand and go, I'll join your team, right? So... This reminds me of when um, uh, was one conversation I was having with Hatsumi Sensei um, right after I passed my fifth non-test, okay? And uh, I, I can't speak for anybody else and what they learn or whatever, right? I just, I can only speak to these little sidebar conversations that Hatsumi Sensei has had with me. You know, I walk up at the end of a two-week training thing and let Hatsumi Sensei know, thank you very much for the training. I appreciate it. Um me and my students were, were going back and, you know, whatever, right? And almost every time, right, without fail, um, he'll give me some kind of extra lesson, right? One time he turned, me, turned around and pointed out to these scrolls that were on the, on the wall. And he said, you know, most people just see the surface level translation, right? It's this, this, and this, right? But I want you to think about the hidden meaning, Right? And he gave me the lesson, and then he sent me on my way. Well, that required a whole bunch of extra thought, right? But um, Hatsumi Sensei, <laughs> Hatsumi Sensei knows people better than they think he does because most people assume that because he wasn't on the Internet. No, he wasn't communicating on the Internet. But he knew everything that was going on on the Internet. It was amazing what he knew about and bullshit that was going on and, and whatever, right? But he never said anything about it because he was just watching people move around. He was just watching what was going on within the Bujinkan. And it wasn't until the last couple of years before he, um, he uh, retired 
that um, he spoke up about things and there were major, uh, as the Bible would say, there was great um, roaring and gnashing of teeth, right? Or gnawing and uh, gnashing of teeth or whatever, right? So, um, but, um, so I, I passed my fifth on test, right? And he has this little conversation with me that I needed to start exploring the dark side of, uh, I mean, he knew what my background was like growing up and all that kind of stuff. So not that dark side, right? I was actually supposed to use the Bujinkan as a crucible, as my Petri dish, okay? Because he knew that I had certain feelings, thoughts, uh, perspectives about certain people, about certain teachers, right? Whether it was because they were egocentric, because of whatever, right? And he said, the next part of your training is you need to make friends with them and you need to um, learn how to control that side of yourself so that they accept the friendship. But it wasn't necessarily to become friends. I was supposed to work on that aspect that allowed me to navigate even through and around people that I knew that their morals and ethics and, and, and reason for doing things just ran contrary to everything I believed in. But I was supposed to move in and around these people like they were like, a okay. Okay. Without them picking up on any intention, any, uh, any weird tells or projection of, of, uh, thought, intention, anything like that, right? Because leading up to the fifth Don test, right? You're working on the overt, right? You can feel the hostility. Even James even mentioned that in that reading, right? Of the join the uh, join the jutsu, right? So you can you can feel it, right? You can feel things start to happen, just like when somebody's you know maneuvering in a freaking bar or wherever you happen to be, right? Uh, my cop and security guys know what this feels like, right? You can feel it, right? There's some obvious jack wagon right in front of you, right? That is you know loud, obnoxious, and and uh, threatening or, you know, using certain speech and trying to come off as this dangerous guy or whatever, but your spidey senses are telling you that the guy that's sitting over here to your left, right, at the bar is the one who, if anything's going to happen, it's going to come from that area, right? Interesting stuff. So, um, so there's this whole other side to things, right? So up to the fifth on test, it's about feeling Saki, the force of the killer, right? Beyond fifth on, one side of the training is being able to detect danger that's not being projected, right? You're in a dangerous area or whatever, but there's no intent, okay? You know, there's freaking somebody died at the wheel and their car is out of control and coming at you. There's no intent, but there's danger. That's at the Kuji level, 
right? It's very different, right? Um, but the other side of it is being able to navigate so that you're literally in the eyes of the enemy, but they don't perceive you as a threat or a danger. Right? So very, very different, right? So which of these skill sets were going to be really important for the Joan, right? Moving into an area, volunteering to be on the enemy's, being the enemy's army, right? Um, probably the detective, detection of danger, right? Worried about being found out, but they're going to have to navigate in a way that nothing about them says anything other than I'm on your side and I'm your best buddy. So interesting stuff. But at the same time, it makes it even more important for those people, right? And it, it, there's other ones as well, right? It makes it even more important that there's that they're um seishin teki, right? Their spiritual refinement, their personal development training, and those abilities are very high. Because part of seishin is the ability to know who you are and what you stand for and all that. But in times like we're talking about the, with the join, right, is to be able to take that light and tuck it away in the deepest recesses of your heart. You can't lose it. If you lose it, you will become a member of the other team. You, you will get lost in because as you think, act, do, and pretend to be eventually – Right. I mean, that's that's the whole crux of Mikio. Right. To that to be the thing you want to be faster, you borrow the thing that bullshitters use. Right. You walk, talk, think and act that thing until it becomes real for you. Well, the problem for the undercover operative is the longer you do something, you run the risk of losing yourself and becoming that which you set out to stop or to, you know, to to arrest or whatever, right? Important, interesting stuff, right? So um, the Seishin Teki training, right? The personal clarity stuff and all that, just even more important, right? Because otherwise, because I mean, you're you're working in and among these people, right? You're you're being bathed in their ideology or ideology twenty four seven, right? So. No. The um, anyway. So what else we have? Let's let's do uh, one more before we switch to the Uda side of things, right? So these are still in the obvious side, right? Okay. Uh, another one so, is. Called... Have we named anybody? Have we named anybody yet that needs to dress in black and um, be scaling walls or throwing shirt again or anything? No, sir. Well, hell, what the hell's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's next? <laughs> Uh, another one is called Minomushi, uh, known as the Tapeworm. Took advantage of weak points in a rival organization and was used by the Ninja family to win over some person high in the enemy's hierarchy. Once won over, the Ninja's new ally was turned into a parasite in the body of his own organization. He became a source of information from in inside. In applying this technique, the Ninja family realized that the higher the potential candidate's position, the more value and effect he could have. It was common practice to be on the lookout for dissident figures who had comparatively high or crucial positions in the enemy's organization. 
Now, and why a, while a Genin could do this, this is probably one of the things that a Tunin did, right? The middleman, right? Because you're going to be in more influential positions because you're not just an entertainer. You're not just a um, a tradesman or an itinerant monk or whatever, right? So Tunin are going to be at different levels in society. And if we're trying to turn somebody who's in a significant position in the hierarchy of the enemy, right? Tunin, but maybe even the Jonin. Because what you're really doing is befriending somebody, but you're also looking for, um, you know, uh, chinks in their armor and stuff like that, right? Where they, they're resenting things. Okay. Um, you know, if you need people on your side, then what you want to look for are the people that are within their friendship circle, but mm, they've been burned a couple of times by the person and they're looking for, they're either looking for a way to get them back, but they don't feel strong enough to do it themselves and they're not going to do it overtly, right? Or um, they're becoming more and more apathetic about the person. So, you know, they're still a friend and they don't have the, they don't have the testicular fortitude, right, to uh, disconnect because maybe they're afraid of retribution or whatever, right? So all this stuff is is necessary in today's world. Again, now we're talking about a skill set that, again, most people that, that fantasize about being that black-clad guy, right, throwing shirt again and drawing swords and all that, they don't, they don't give any thought to this stuff, right? It, it requires mental training. It requires more observation about human nature, right? Those kind of things. Very, very different, okay? All right, so um, now, was the black-clad guy, well, the one, they weren't black-clad, right? They were wearing the colors of the day, but darker ones or whatever because, you know, there's lots of things about stealth, right? If we're wearing a black kabuki theater costume, um, it better be really freaking dark. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just talking to one of my vet friends the other day, and, uh, like, basic training was the first time we ever experienced, like, true darkness. Because most people, you know, they have no idea, right? Um, the, the, even the glow from the sky, if we're outside the city, the glow from the lights of the city reflecting off the stratosphere, right, create more, cre- creates light, right? A partial moon or the stars out or whatever creates a certain type of light, right? Uh, this one vet I was talking to, um we were stationed in what was then West Germany at uh, different times, but we ended up doing training in an area called the black forest. Okay. Not, not that I know it's not related to the Cape that I know of. Right. But, um, <laughs> but in the black forest, holy shit, you can't see your hand in front of your eye or in front of your face. Right. I mean, it's, it's pitch black. The trees are that dense that you can't see in front of you. Right. <clears throat> so, anyway, um, uh, anyway, we'll, ju- we'll just keep going with this. So, um, but again, you're not wearing, you're not going to be wearing this freaking black outfit, right? Um, you're going to be wearing uh, maroons and darker greens and blues and things like that, right? And then your obi is what you were taught to tie around your head as a uh, as your mask. Right, something that was easy to take off, put back around your waist, and you can just blend in. Right, you're not wearing anything different than anybody else. 
Yeah, well, the ninja wore Tabi. So did a lot of other people. Right? I mean, it was a sandal-based society, for God's sake. Right? So, anyway. Uh, so let's, let's do one that, um, let's do one that's not so obvious, shall we? Let's do the ordinary. Let's do the ordinary one. What's an ordinary ninja, James? <laughs> this is the easiest one for everybody to be. Uh, known as Satubito Nojutsu, and employing ordinary persons from the enemy's area as ninja agents or information gatherers. The basis for the strategy was to recruit a resident of the enemy's country as an actual member of the ninja organization. To establish a branch of the ninja network in the middle of enemy territory, the safest and least conspicuous method was to make one or more of the local residents of the enemy area a ninja and draw them into the remote Ninshos organization in a region where the ruler's government was corrupt or where extremely oppressive policies were enforced, half of the people would naturally harbor discontent, complaints, and resentment. Even in a country where the government is benevolent, it would be quite rare for every citizen to love and respect the leaders. A certain percentage would be dissatisfied with what they saw in their country. The ninja employed the Satubito Nojitsu strategy by taking advantage of such dissatisfaction. Okay. So, what are the chances that those people that were uh, recruited as Satubito? What are the chances they even had to train in any part of the Ninja no Hachimon? Zero. Zero. Now here's here's a question. This wasn't one that I planned on asking, right? How many people do you think are like attracted to ninjutsu, attracted to Bujinkan stuff or whatever? May or may not have gone to or, you know done seminars or you know they certainly read things and whatever, right? How many of those people do you think live their lives in discontent, right? They don't like their life. They don't like their, their job. They don't like their family. They don't like their marriage. They don't like whatever, right? So um, if I offered them something better or offered to do things for them in exchange for, right, favors here or there or whatever, right? Now, Sato Vito, very often. Now, these people are being recruited but the Uda side of this is a lot of Satobito didn't know that they were being used. You just befriend them and you sit around, right? Like a lot of people do around the kitchen table, at the bar, whatever, right? Everybody does it, right? And you just bitch and complain. You bitch and complain about the job. You bitch and complain about the country. You bitch. How easy is it to get information from somebody when you just get them bitching and complaining? Right? One of the skill sets of a ninja is you should never know what that what the ninja's true beliefs are about anything. All you're going to be left with are assumptions because of what he or she implies, but you don't know that for sure. Okay? No one at the dojo knows what my true political or religious leanings are, because one, it's none of their damn business, and two, if 
I were too overt about that, right, then I'm going to exclude half the people I could potentially help. And besides that, if I get people in that um, lean way too far in a direction that I don't buy into, then we may have a conversation, or if they press the issue, then I may speak up um, in a way that gets them to reconsider their association. That's part of designing your life. Okay. But here's the thing, and I just I just covered this not too long ago in class, right? People think that somebody who disagrees with them are like in the opposite camp, right? I'm an independent, right? Very moderate thinker, right? Um, I don't lean to extremes. But anybody who is on an extreme will look at center and think that that is the opposite extreme because from their position off center, right, Center's here, right? I'm, I'm making a little point here for those of you on audio only, right? And I got this extreme over here, and this person has chosen. I don't care if it's an R or a D or whatever, right? They've chosen this hard line kind of thing over here, right? All they can see is me because the opposite extreme is way over, right? And I know that because the number of people that are calling moderates and independents, in, at least in our uh, part of the world, right, alt-right or alt-left or whatever, right, it's because they can't see the other side. and They'd be terrified of the other side, or they might even make friends with the other side if they didn't know what their political leanings were, because the opposites, the extremes, sound very similar, right? They just It's just convenient to have an enemy on the other side, right? <clears throat> and that's the thing, right? When we're working on stuff, when we're working on our own progress, the, the hardest part is to get from whatever your position is on the mandala, which is typically extreme and farther away from center. The hardest part of the work is to get to center so that you can learn how to navigate and, and be more fluid, to be what you need to be in the moment you need to be that thing, right? The more hardline our habits are and the more fixed our tendencies are and our beliefs and those kind of things, right? Not that you, they can't be, you know, fixed or whatever, but I mean that you're not able to adapt, right? Just, you know, people panic when, when there's any kind of change, right? Oh, my God, I always had this for lunch and ugh, whatever, right? Okay? And there's people like that, right? But they're wired that way, like, from birth, right? So, but people can gravitate to things. Right, because they just think that the world needs to operate based on their belief system, and everybody else would be happy. Right, then like self-assuming yourself, God. But a great part of the work, right, and it takes a lot of effort, time, resources, and those kind of things, right, to figure out where center is. And a great part of your training is actually swinging back and forth from the extremes, because only only knowing the extremes. Can you find center? Right? So it's, it's like when you're making mistakes with your training, right? You go too far, right? You go, don't go far enough or whatever, right? 
to find just right, you have to be wrong on both sides. Or at least experience both sides, right? Anyway, right, so um, one more. Let's do one more. And again, keep it on the Oda side if, if you have it right there in front of you. <clears throat> uh, this one's called False Reflection. Hota, Hota Ruby, uh, carefully staged I'm deception. You butcher English, uh, just butcher it. Yeah, that's true. Carefully <laughs> staged deception was the goal. An aggressive method of creating a disturbance inside the enemy's camp. Hotarobi was applied as a direct ploy to confuse the enemy. A ninja agent was dispatched to carry a falsified secret document through the enemy's territory. As a part of the prearranged plan, the ninja with his incriminating material arranged to be captured by the enemy forces. There is no doubt that the enemy would want to question the ninja about why he was in their territory and who was his contact. The ninja would then provide a convincing performance, resisting the interrogators, enduring physical torture and promises of rewards, and finally giving up in the end and admitting his purpose in contact. The ninja would then, quote, confess that his contact was a person who just happened to be one of the key figures in the enemy's group. Of course, in reality, the person named had no knowledge of the ninja whatsoever, but his credibility was permanently damaged and the confidence of the enemy was considerably shaken. What skill sets do we have now? Endurance of pain, maintaining clarity to mission, regardless of torture, right? Self-sacrifice, because you you either need, well, you're going to need escape skills. So you either need to be able to escape and get the hell away or know that you're never going back home again. So, again, and we haven't covered, we've covered what, four? Four? Yes. Out of ten of gaining, right? So, hmm, interesting. Again, my question is, what type of ninja do you want to be? Well, I want to be the lone wolf. Okay, fantastic, right? Because so far we've talked about a couple of lone wolf guys. Okay? And again, if we don't know what the hell we're talking about, we're just going to guess, or more likely people are basing their perspective and what they're going after, based on what they've read in books, right? Eric von Lustbader's Ninja or Miko or whatever, right? Um, or, you know, everything from Enter the Ninja way back when, um, was it Marco Franco that played uh, the white ninja? And I don't mean like he was white. I mean, he wore white and tried to, like, blend into things because it was a white ninja and a black ninja, right? The bad ninja was black and the good ninja was white which is actually bass-ackwards from the way the Japanese would have used colors, if we were still doing it that way. Anyway, so, um, but I get it, right? I mean, you know, that, that has a lot of the allure. Okay? <coughs> Sorry, I must have a cold settling in or something. So anyway, let's do this. Before I ask the second question and really get people thinking, right, um, What's come up? Questions, comments? That'll be the time to ask. Right? Um, I'll ask you the same questions that I just asked students um, originally. Right? What value are you getting out of your training up to this point? 
if you've been around for a while, how's that different from the value you were getting in the beginning? Because in all honesty, everybody gets value. Even the guy that sits on his ass and complains about not being able to train, they're getting something out of that. People that are in codependent relationships, they're getting something out of that. No matter how much they bitch and complain and are resentful, people that work in a, in a work environment and they hate their job, you know, the guys I was just talking about sitting at the bar drinking and complaining about things, the reason they don't quit is because they, they're getting some kind of benefit. They're getting some kind of value. Right. Even if it's to tell the world um, that I'm a victim or to share in the mutual admiration society, because we're all going to stand around and bitch about the same things. Right. Um, there's lots of negatives to go with that, too. But the people don't stay in situations or relationships or environments or whatever where they're not getting something out of it. I get to be lazy. I get to be what? What's the value? What's the value of complaining that I can't get the training I need? Some people are just going to give you free stuff or who knows, right? I mean, you know, if you're working on Seishin Deki for clarity. So anyway, what's the value? Okay. And then the other side is what are you hoping to get out of it? The second question is what are you hoping to get out of it? Right. What's the allure of ninjutsu? Because what you're looking for may itself be an illusion. Not that it's an illusion that you can't attain it, but maybe it's not available through ninjutsu. Because a lot of people, they don't want ninjutsu. They want to become the super warrior where everybody knows it was them that did the ass-kicking or is the toughest guy on the block or whatever. Not needed to. That's not needed to. Okay? There's an old adage. If a ninja had to draw a sword, he already lost. Right? Because you were caught. You were detected. Right? You're now a target. Okay? So... Again, back to personal character, uh, personal character traits, right? Anyway, what do we have, James? Uh, <clears throat> the usual good evenings, highs, haze. Hey ho, haze. <laughs> and the only comment that's come through is from Stephen Nordlinger, and says, as you and I know from both military and police experience, we have to specialize. Absolutely, right. Think about even in medicine, right? The general practitioner, right, handles the colds and the aches and pains and, you know, whatever, right? But anything that happens outside of that, you get sent to a specialist. They might be able to set a bone or whatever, but if that break is too bad, too bad you get sent to a specialist. And personally, I would rather have a specialist working on my problem than a jack-of-all-trades, because they can't read everything. In law, they have to specialize, right? So I, I, I used to use cliche statements like a lot of people do, and then, you know, I became a cop, and, you know, 
Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, shit. Once you realize that the law is so broad and there's so many different, car- or, you know, areas, right, that lawyers can't practice. I mean, if they're doing general practice, then they're handling divorces. They're handling, you know, uh, whatever. They're handling – some are doing, you know, contracts and rental agreements and – general advice and, you know, whatever, right? But even that's becoming harder and harder, right? It's just like the, the lawyer that, that we hired because of this fiasco with my house, right? Um, I am paying extra, but I hired one of the top guys in the, in the state who is an absolute expert at the contractor consumer law there's four of them, right, the laws, within the state of Pennsylvania um, to go after this contractor. But his specialization is to help actual contractors and contracting companies to make sure that all their T's are crossed and all their I's are dotted to protect them against consumers who will try to screw them over or whatever, right? So this guy has to know the law inside out and backwards to protect the people he is normally protecting, but he agreed to take on our case because it's contractors like this guy that screwed us over that makes him have to do all this extra stuff, right, for his clients. So I went to a specialist, you know, I just, I would always direct somebody, whatever your problem is, go find a specialist in that particular area, right? Don't, don't, don't go to a general practitioner. If you need a contract written or a rental agreement or whatever, right? You got a rental agreement or somebody gives you something or whatever. You can get anybody to look it over, right? To just to make sure that it's unless you're doing like trademark, copyright, whatever, right? You want to make sure that you want to make sure that you're covered, right? Um, but absolutely, right? You you need to specialize. Uh one of my guys, um as a law enforcement officer, right? has done a lot of what I might call gaining things, right? Patrolmen and whatever, right? But at certain points, he was an investigator. At another point, for a, a significant amount of time, right, he nurtured assets, okay? Right? Anybody that's been in the, in, the, uh, in the realm knows that what we're talking about is uh, informants, right? His job was to recruit them. His job was to manage them. His job was to, you know, stay in contact with him and stuff like that. But a big part of it was in nurturing and recruiting or recruiting and nurturing, right? So he wasn't on the road. He wasn't patrolling, right? It was, it was a very different job, okay? So anyway, uh, what else do we have? Anything? No, sir. Okay. All right, so let's move to tuning because we already started hinting on those, right? So um, tuning again, middleman, right? They got different skill sets. So managing people, right? Managing assets, being able to set up tests to make sure that your gaining were not turned by the other side, right? So often what would happen um, is they would send out two, three operatives, whatever, to go get the same information. But these gaining didn't know 
So they're not working as a team. They don't even know that the other ones are there. Okay? And now, when the information comes back, yes, this person may have talked to that person or whatever, but if there's a, if there's a snake in the grass, so to speak, right, a kusha, which is another name for a ninja, right, um, if one of those is off, their story is going to be very different from these other ones, right? Two of them are going to be in the ballpark, and you know, the chances of all three of them being turned, right, and coming, it's going to be odd, right? So um, in my world, in my life, um, whether I'm, you know, in consulting or I'm parenting or anything like that, right, um, in today's world, I have the benefit of having neuro-linguistic programming, right? And one of those things is uh, locator questions, right, asking locator questions. And this is not asking questions um, to which I already have the answer. What I'm doing is I'm, answer, I'm asking questions to see where somebody is in their head about something, right? Um, being able to present things as a, as a martial arts teacher, present things and the way I describe something or the way I set it up so that I prevent the student's natural defense mechanisms or their own personality traits from getting in their own way, right? Anybody that's been through my level one instructor training program knows about preframes and reframes, okay? A preframe is describing something. So you're taking somebody who doesn't have an opinion about something. Let's say I'm teaching somebody onikodaki for the first time, right? It's a freaking um, leveraging shoulder dislocation, right? It's not, it's, it's not a super easy technique to learn, Right. I mean, there's I mean, anybody can twist an arm. Right. But getting the elbow in alignment with the two shoulders. Right. So that the scapula come together and the, the junction at T8, T9 in the thoracic uh, come together to cause the, the center of the chest to lift up and forward. That kind of thing. Right. So that you, by the time you go to crank on the arm, you already have the AC joint opened up and, and bad things are happening. Right. So. It's not an easy thing, right? But how do I describe things in a way so that a student who doubts their natural abilities or doubts, they're, they're, they're constantly doubting, right? So anytime that something seems a little complicated or they, they believe I'm a slow learner, I'm a whatever, right? Um, don't make it too complicated. And they might not say it that way. They might use self-deprecating language, right? I'm whatever this negative. I'm whatever this negative, right? So how do I describe it in a way that gives them a setup so that they'll be be willing to try it, right? So as a preframe, when I set up an onikodaki, I'm going to say, okay, so today we're going to work on this technique called onikodaki. It means demon crusher, okay? Sounds really cool, right? Okay, so this technique can be challenging, right? Because if you miss it, Right. This guy can can be on you. Right. But what we're going to do is we're going to start with this first part right here, this first crucial thing. So we're not going to do it in a fight context. We're just going to work on manipulating the arm and the joint to get the right positioning so we can understand how it works. So all we have to do today is learn where our arms go, how that works. And we're just going to walk it into position. But we're not going to do the finish. We're not going to do the takedown or anything like that. OK, so we good. Yes. Okay. Again, I know it's a challenging technique, but once we get it, 
unless this guy can do a single-handed or no-handed back handspring, or he's willing to let to shred his shoulder, right, to escape that thing, he can't get out. Okay, you're you're going to literally unscrew his shoulder or his arm from his shoulder socket. Okay, so I have to set it up in a way where the benefits far outweigh, and I have to make it. And I have to set it up so that their defense mechanism doesn't go up. Now, if I go, okay, today we're working on his own Kodaki, it means Demon Crusher. What we're going to do is work on things where you like, yeah, it's a shoulder dislocation, man. You're just going to rip this thing apart, right? You and your partner are going to practice back and forth. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this thing. And if you get it right today, we're going to be doing like single hand or no handed backflips because um, you're going to have to learn how to get out of it. <laughs> right? Holy shit. Right? But a reframe. It's taking somebody who already has an opinion about something and reframing it so that it changes their mind about it. Okay? If I have a parent that comes in and goes, man, I really need you to help me with my kid, you know, um, he's just like, you say A and he does Z, you say whatever, right? And I go, oh, well, I can see where that would be a problem if you're trying to get him to follow instructions, but sounds like a natural born explorer to me, right? which means he's probably less likely to fall for unhealthy peer pressure um, when he gets, you know, up there in school. But we'll help you with this side of things, but we don't want to kill the other side. Does that make sense? Right? Do you get it? So I, I acknowledge what the parent is having a problem with, and they need this help over here, but we don't want to kill this side that might make them an entrepreneur or an explorer or be willing to, you know, venture out into the world and try new things and, and that kind of thing. Man, that's personality trait of entrepreneurs and natural born leaders. And like from my background in law enforcement, right? Um, being able to work undercover and stuff like that and you go into areas where, you know, I don't know anything about it, but I'll figure it out. Right. The tinkerer, the, you know, whatever. Right. There's again, it's a personality trait. I don't want to kill. Right. So do you get where I'm going with this? Right. So I give them a way to reframe this like, Oh, maybe this isn't, it's not that bad. I just need help that, like, he knows when it's okay to go and do that thing. And other times, look, dude, you need to you need to do what needs to get done kind of thing, right? And we can help with that, okay? So, again, these are all traits that different ninja need. I just see them as diff- I need to be a certain type of ninja at different points in my life, right, and and for so to accomplish um, certain things. Uh, in the dojo, right, sometimes I have to be the gaining uh, uh, where I'm doing the work, right? Other times I have to be the tune-in where I'm making sure that people are like, if somebody's teaching classes or whatever, right? Here's the curriculum. Here's the, you know, whatever. This is what we're working on. Um, you know, I might have to correct somebody and go, look, man, they're this age and they're this rank, right? That explanation you gave them, I know they answered with yes, sir, when you said you understand. Dude, that was a Pavlovian response, okay? They said, they gave you the answer, they thought you wanted to hear. Okay. So let's adjust things to their understanding, their level. This is not about you. You learn to speak their listen. Okay. And at other times I need to be the Jonin, right? It's my academy. I created the mission statement. This is what we're about. This is the game. These are the rules of the game and how it gets played here. I don't care what they're doing in that camp over there. Yeah, I know, but we're all part of the same big organization. Yeah, I know. I'm still not doing it the way they're doing it over there. 
It doesn't serve my students. It doesn't serve the people I'm trying to help. Okay? So anyway, and that's that's where it goes to the Joni, right? Ultimately, you know, people, they, they dream about and they, they really want to be the leaders of their own life, right? But there's certain things that the Jonin had to be able to do. I mean, the Jonin was the most invisible member of the entire clan, right? They hobnobbed with all the bigwigs, right? They decided. They kept their, their eye on what was going on in the world. They kept their hand on the pulse, right, of, uh, of, of you know, how things were going. Um, and they decided who, they were gonna, who the clan was going to align itself with, right? And so, you know, everybody wants to be the Jonin, but, you know, the Jonin, if they get detected, right, the whole clan is screwed. And, um, I mean, there's all kinds of repercussions to this, right? Um, just like, you know, everybody bitches and complains about the CEO or whatever, right? I mean, the guy was out playing golf for like four hours and stuff. Meanwhile, we're all working. Yeah. He made more money playing golf for four hours because he was playing golf with vendors or other people that the company is trying to do business with. And he did it in that context because it's not in a nego- around a negotiating table and all that kind of stuff, right? And every and, and the, the CEO has the most tenuous job in the corporation. Anybody that truly understands business and not business from the employee's position, but understands how things work, right? CEOs are on contract, right? They're stuck between the market, the employees, and the shareholders, right? And they're on a year-by-year contract. Right? The most secure position in a company is the janitor. I mean, how badly can you screw things up? It's kind of like being a, a, a coroner. Right? What's the worst thing that can happen for a coroner? You're working on dead bodies. What's the worst thing that can happen? You find a pulse. Right? That would suck. Right? <laughs> so, but for the CEO, you, you make a decision that screws the company. Yeah, he's getting a big severance package. Because he's going to have to live on that until he can get another freaking job as a, as a CEO. Because he has what kind of house did he buy, cars did he buy, wife is, you know, used to a certain type of uh, living standard and whatnot, right? Just like somebody starts a business, right? Well, the employees are putting in all, yeah, but who lever, who mortgaged their, you know, their life to the hilt, right? Who is, could lose everything? The family could go away. What everything, right? If shit falls, I mean, if a company fails, the employees do what? Sign up for unemployment while they're trying to get another job. Okay? The business owner could be tied up in litigation for the next five or ten years. Holy shit. Okay? So who's taking the most risk and who? I don't begrudge people to take the risk and to get the reward, but, right? Like I just I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about Elon Musk and they were look at how much money he's in. Okay, so if we understand business, thirty-five percent of a business's income revenue, actual cash in, right, goes to payroll. Okay, now you have matching taxes to add on top of that, right? Now you have all the benefit packages that the employee sees as free that the employer is paying for, right? So a single person's um, insurance policy, 
right, is probably costing the employer upwards of $1,500 to $2,000 per month per employee. Add that up times employees. Now we have rent on the property, taxes on the property, electric, get all this extra stuff, right? And we haven't even entered in marketing, sales commissions paid out, all that kind of stuff. So the very fact that they're taking home what they're taking home, oh, and let's not forget the savings plan that has to be in place for everybody that sees the corporation as a bank and can't wait to sue them. And the money has to be there to write the check. So just we're right back to not understanding ninjutsu. If we don't understand the thing we're, we're talking about, it, you just have to hope you're not around somebody who really knows the subject or, you know, you end up sounding like an ignorant ass. Right? Which is why most people just look and that, that do know that they just look and nod and smile. Okay? The most arrogant ones will tell you to get the hell out of their face. Right? If you're going to be stupid, go be stupid somewhere else. But we live in a, we live in a time now where that's not nice. I don't care if you liked it or not. You're somewhere else not liking me. I don't have to put up with it in my, anyway, so. But I just tend to smile and nod. I understand. Okay? Just be careful. When I say I don't, I mean, when I tell you I understand, Okay, it's not necessarily what you're trying to get me to understand. Okay, so ninja have to have a perspective grander than the people that are hiring them to do the work. They have to be able to work independently, alone, with no guidance, right? Most people that I know, if nobody's looking... Their breaks get really long, right? Not motivated, right? Most commission-based salesmen take a job for commission-based because they have more freedom, but they also jump from job to job to job, complaining that they ain't making enough on the last one, except that the commission-based salesperson is completely in charge of how much their paycheck is going to be every week. But again, perspective has to be different. Right? And I know a lot of this stuff sounds like it has nothing to do with ninjutsu. That's because you're only focusing on the guy wearing tabi and a, and a uniform and carrying a sword and some throwing stars. Okay? This all absolutely does have to do with ninjutsu because at the jonin level, there's way more to process. And as I was taught way back in the day, right, Hatsumi-sensei is a jonin. Most people would look at that and go, okay, so he's the jonin, and then the instructors are the chunin, and then the students are the gainin. No. Gainin were taught to be gainin by who? Gainin. Chunin were taught to be chunin by their dads or grandfathers who were Chunin. Jonin taught their children to be Jonin. One of the first lessons I got in this art was at a certain point, you are going to start your own ninja organization, your own network. 
at that point, fifth on was the highest level in this art. And at fifth on, once you got your uh, Shidoshi, that was your responsibility. And then it moved to tenth on, and then it moved to Jugodan, and now it's Daishihan, right? And that has a whole other meaning that's related to Soke and whatever, right? So, but ignorance begets ignorance. It doesn't make the thing that you're doing what you think you're doing. I mean, my analogy all the time is you can call a dog's tail a leg, but it doesn't make it a leg. You can call what you're doing, needed to, but it doesn't, okay? You can, you can use all these excuses for why you can't train or whatever, money, time, whatever. But all that does is create a paradigm that makes you right because you're staying inside your box, okay? The question should be, I don't have enough money, okay, how do I make more money to do this thing? Do I get a different job, side hustle, right? Um, James just went through a process of selling off a whole bunch of shit so he could, you know, pay off some debt and whatever, right? Okay. Um, I don't have enough time. Well, how do I create time? How do I free up time? What am I doing that's time wasting? Right? I don't, you know, I live too far from the, from a teacher. Well, how do I, how do I lessen the distance? Okay. And then if you get answers, if you shoot them down, that's on you. Okay. Because, you know, if I could do it in the freaking military, in the 80s, when we didn't have the internet, and I was stationed on the other side of the planet from where my teacher was, anybody can do it. Oh, and before anybody thinks that I had the extra money and all that, I was a private, okay? came from a poor family, did not have a trust fund, nothing like that. Oh, and I was married and had two kids. So, um, yeah, no. All right, so anyway, so a Jonin, right? Hatsumis to say as a Jonin, right? He's teaching us all how to be Jonin. Does that mean we don't need the self-defense skills? Yeah, of course, right? Because if you get attacked, you get attacked. But we probably don't have, we're probably not going to be the ones climbing castle walls. Unless you want to. Who knows, right? Could have an affinity for Shuko, okay? So the first question was, what kind of a ninja do you want to be? Well, that's going to require some exploring. Right? Have you read the Shoninki? Right? It's another uh, treasure trove of, you know, what made a ninja, like ninja could only weigh this much, and they were, you know, whatever. Okay? You're talking about the operative. In certain of these writings, it's about the Ganyan. Right? In other ones, it's different. Right? It's a different area. Right? It's a different specialization. Right? So here's the second question. Took us all this long to get to the second question. What type of ninja are you are you more suited to be? If you're older and you're sporting a little extra or like me, you got freaking arthritis setting in and all that kind of stuff. Okay? My climbing days are fast coming to an end. Okay? Not going to be able to outrun pursuers. So they either get punched in the throat or shot in the face. I mean, it's just, it comes down to, you know, practicality, right? But a part of the practicality is, and here's this cognitive dissonance we were talking about earlier. Cognitive dissonance is when you have two thoughts that are in opposition to each other. Okay? 
Sometimes those things are conscious. Sometimes they're subconscious or unconscious. Okay? Cognitive dissonance comes up for a lot of people because they're fantasizing about being the gainin, but they have self-doubt or they have self-knowledge, right? Know thyself, that there's just certain things about them, at least now, that that's something on the inside saying that's just not that's just not doable or it's not realistic or you know I'm really this more you know I'm I'm much more of a thinker puzzle solver or whatever right well great you don't need to be the guy sneaking into the freaking castle right you can be the tactician or the strategist right you can be the you know the one training the next generation of of ninja right you can become the consultant with whatever your expertise is. You get paid really well to go into corporations and tell them where the security is screwed, where there's ginormous holes, and how to fix it in a way that somebody who's targeting them wouldn't be able to plan around it. Okay? <coughs> so I'm, an, I'm a strategic advisor. Right? So... Um, Question one is, what kind do you want to be? Question two is, what are you more cut out to be? Personality traits, character traits, risk. Uh, are you, how, how, what's your level of risk aversion? What's your relationship to risk? Physical, mental, financial, whatever, right? That should be a huge determining factor. Okay? What are your interpersonal skills? Like, whatever, right? Okay. How open are you to instruction, right? In NLP, we have two, there's two general categories for people in the way they think and process information. We're not talking about Seder types and all that kind of stuff, right? And really fancy words, right? There's big chunkers and small chunkers. Big chunkers see the forest but can't see the trees. Small chunkers Focus on the details, but don't necessarily see the whole puzzle. Or you, can you switch back and forth? Typically, people have to be trained to be both. I had to train myself to be both. Okay? But where, where do you go? Do you, like, do you go to the big picture thing? Right? And then now you need to partner up with somebody who can see all the details. Most people want to partner up with people just like them. They can't understand why they're not successful in marriage, in business, whatever, right? You're going to find somebody that complements your way of doing things and then not bitch and complain because you don't see things the same way. You shouldn't be seeing the same, th same things the same way, right? So anyway, so what type of emos cut out to be? That's not for me to answer. That's for you to answer, okay? Anyway... Hopefully this was valuable. I sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to people and or I'm recording a session and hopefully things land. Okay, so let's let's do this. Okay, um, you do your own self reflection and stuff. But here's here's a final question: What was your biggest aha moment? If you've been on this for you know a, a significant amount of time, right? Um, what was your biggest aha moment?
during this session. During this episode. <laughs> James, did you have an aha moment while we're waiting for other people to type in or whatever? I'm not drinking Modelo. This was a cool cup my wife got me for Christmas. I put it in the freezer and uh, like whatever this gel is between these two walls freezes up. And then I don't have to take up the place with um, with ice and whatnot. And if I get it cold just the right way, it actually froze some of the stuff inside my my uh, my cup. So, and because I'm feeling like a Viking, I want to. <laughs> no, I'm not. Anyway, James, did you have an aha moment? James, oh, was they... no, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Just one. We don't have time for your long diatribe. Long dissertation. That's right. The, uh, it's probably the first I really thought about that those uh, types of ninja being really being that and being part of like the gaming level and and uh, like I obviously knew the, the three part breakdown that you see everywhere, but uh, I didn't think of that at that level. These different types. Of being part of uh, part of the ninja organization like that. Hmm. Remember, I said um, I often use those different ninja archetypes hmm. as aspects of myself, depending on where where and what I have to be. Okay, let's take this to your taijutsu. Let's do a cool little exercise here. Okay, what if you're really the warrior protector? You're hoping yourself to be or presenting yourself to be, okay? My cop uh, guys know this stuff. My military guys know this stuff, right? But if you were in a room or let's say you're out to eat with the family and you see or feel shit start to happen, if you start to move in the direction of that thing, right, or reposition your family, for safety or whatever, right? Are you not being like a join ninja? You're positioning yourself so when shit happens, you can insert yourself into the battle from a strategic angle. Yeah? When I take my family out to eat, I have not been a counterterrorist operative or a cop, even, wearing a uniform or whatever for a little while, right? But if where they're taking me for a table isn't conducive for sight lines and all that, I ask for a different table. I set things up. See, it's peacetime. Nobody's causing any trouble. It's a normal place, right? I'm establishing the baseline of the area, how people dress, what's the normal activity, that kind of thing, right? So now I can look for things that or outside that, right? But it's everyday life. So how I'm acting normally in my day-to-day life as we go into different environments, we go into the store, we go whatever, right? I'm acting like the Katsuman, right? So we could be that kind of ninja, or if we borrow the lesson from, from Mikio and recognize these different potentials and aspects on the mandala, right? 
and how we ourselves can switch between roles, right? And we're we're acting a certain way at certain times or in certain locations relative to what's going on, right? For my kids, now I'm an empty nester now, but for my kids, very often, right, I was the Matsubitsu because I was the conduit of information to provide to them to make sure they didn't forget things on certain days that they needed them for school. Okay? But a lot of people resent that kind of stuff. Why do I have to keep Okay. Well, by making sure that they know or by at least knowing so that if they forget and go, hey, don't forget – Right. I'm also keeping my pulse on what the school is doing and what they're trying to teach my kid and or whatever. Right. So um, if we can see these things as aspects. Right. Okay. What if you altered your Tajitsu training to where maybe you worked in groups of three or four and two people were going to be the guys that were like, you know, they start talking smack to each other and they're starting to move in or whatever, and you're practicing rescuing a friend or you're practicing breaking up a situation, right? So you can practice as they're moving around and doing their thing, recognizing entry points to move in so that when things happen, you can intercede. You can insert yourself into the friction Right? And work from there. Instead of always just bow to your partner, one person ski, the other person ichimonzi, uke nagas, da da da. Right? So these things can even point to the macrocosm can point to the microcosm, even within one aspect of training. See what people pay me for? How many people are showing the same kata on YouTube? How many people are showing the same stuff the same way or with slight variation? You don't need a teacher for that. Shit, you got videos. You need a teacher that can pull you out of mediocrity. That can get you to a point. Everybody wants to be a freaking ninja because ninja were superhuman. Well, you can't learn to be superhuman or extraordinary by working with people who are ordinary. And right now, we have hundreds of, well, let's let's say tens of thousands of people running training groups and dojo and all that kind of stuff, right? You can train with any of them. Right? But if your sights are only on learning moves and getting a belt, you can train with anybody. Right? If you're really trying to be and especially if you're aiming for tuning or joning or whatever, right? The, and that's why I align myself with the teachers that I did, right? Even when I was working on Taijutsu stuff, I had four role models. Hatsumi-sensei, Seno-sensei, Shirai-sensei, and Nagato-sensei. Okay? At a certain point, Isuzuka-sensei got in, into it. Because for the greater portion of my training, Isuka-sensei wasn't around, wasn't running a dojo. And there was a bunch of rumors that got passed around that he had dropped out of the Bujin kind of stuff. Uh, no, he was the regional fire commissioner or the, the head of the NOTA fire department system. That means if the alarm went off in any station, 
he got called out. There was no way for him to commit to teaching a regular ongoing tra- um, thing. It wasn't until he retired that, you know, he was able to do things on a regular basis. So, again, listening to gossip leads you down a rabbit hole. Okay? But, anyway. So, but that's why, you know, I did these things. Why Hatsumi Sensei? Because he was the, he was the model. He was the Picasso. He was the example to me of where things were going once I got through the process and could personalize things. Because I was taught as a white belt. You start with Shizen Okamai and you end up with Shizen Tai. And Shizen Tai is just a synthesizing of all of your Kamai where you can do whatever is necessary naturally in the moment. You don't try to be natural. That's faking it, right? Seno Sensei um, was all about precision, right? I mean, like two degrees off was the difference between, oh, yeah, he has me, and holy shit, something's going to break, right? Uh, Shrey Sensei has been a master of balance breaking, right? balance control, balance breaking, and all that. And the Gato Sensei was, if you screw this up, you will die. Just practical self-defense, right? And it, it wasn't like they, you know, they're all teaching the same art, right? But the Gato Sensei would look at you and go, no. If you screw that up, you die. Hope your family looks good in black, right? Or you get taken to the ground and your partner has, you know, holding you at bay or backs off and, they got the sensei walks over and goes, no, no, no. Demonstrate the technique again, knock you down and walk past you with the sword dragging on your body. Look back at your partner and go, just cut his balls off. Right? So you got practical, precision, balance breaking, so control and reflection of where it's supposed to go when you've personalized the art. Okay? Ishizuka sensei is precision to practical. And he's a demon. It, it, it just fucking hurts, right? In Isuka Sensei's dojo, if you've never been there, you hear on a regular basis. Every time you come to class, you risk dying. And lots of people think it's, that's, they've got what it takes, and then within a class or two, they're back training somewhere else because they don't understand what that's like. And then it's kind of like the matrix, right? The red pill, blue pill thing. Take the red pill, show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Or you can take the blue pill. Wake up tomorrow morning, tell yourself anything you want. So, anyway. And I'm really going to miss Sound Sensei when we go back, uh, when we do our fall trip. Because he's a good guy. Anyway, so, uh, all right. I think I gave people plenty of time. To jot some stuff in. So what, what do we have? No. James Nothing. shaking his head back and forth. No. Did I piss people off or do I have you thinking so much that your fingers stopped working? I hope the second is the reason. I mean, if you fell asleep or your brain cracked and I killed you, that's kind of like, I don't know, works against me. <laughs> <laughs> nothing? There was nothing? No, sir. No. Yeah. Shit. Either I'm really, really, really good at explaining this stuff, or I am so uh, confusing that 
I don't know. Or either that or I'm entertaining and people are just like hanging on because they want to see what I'm going to say next. No? Nothing? Nothing. All right. Well, well, I'm not holding on for anything else, so. Um. <laughs> Uh, do you have, do you, I know I just laid this stuff out like two, three weeks ago or whatever, but I don't have it memorized. What's the theme for spring camp? Spring camp is May 5th, 6th, and 7th. Uh, shit. If you go to online ninjaacademy.com forward slash events, it's there. Did you bring it up already? Yes, it's Ninja Realms of Power. Ninja Realms of Power. And then what are some of the, uh, uh, sessions that I've already planned out. Uh, the Tatsujin, what it means to be a master using the ninja's Sanmitsu triple secrets in all realms of life. Uh, Ninpo Taijutsu, fighting with the total self. Winning with psychological warfare tactics. Ningu, specialized ninja weapons. And living and thinking as a shinobi warrior. That sounds really cool, man. I think I'm going to go. I think so. I think I'll go too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So spring camp, we already had that like mapped out. The only thing that's not on there are some of the breakout sessions that a couple of my guys are going to do. Um, and then fall camp is scheduled for September 29th and 30th and October 1st. So these are Friday evening, 8 to 10 uh, p.m. right after our regular classes. And then full Saturday, full Sunday. Um, we end on Sunday, like five, six o'clock, something like that. And then people go back to their lives. Um, and then, uh, I probably didn't put it up there, but I can tell you right now when Dicomio side 24 is going to be because it's always the same weekend, uh, right after. So it should be the fifth, sixth and seventh of January 24. I know Lee said he was coming in for that. So that'd be cool. Um, uh, what's his name? Phil's already signed up and registered for uh, spring camp. Uh, if you go to the events page, I think there's still a banner at the top where we have a seminar package special where, yes. um, I mean, it's you save 60, 70 percent, like something like that. Um, there's, there's a big chunk of chance, whatever it is up there. What is it? 40, 50 percent, whatever. Um, and you just literally pay for a block of seminars and then just use it. Um, whenever you want uh, or whenever you can and you, you save a bunch. Um, and then we are doing our first Japan trip since the COVID shutdown. Uh, that is September 4th to the 18th. Is that right? Okay. People yes. can do a week or they can do two weeks. Uh, we're going for two weeks. We leave on a Monday, come back on a Monday, be flexible with the leave dates because um, I'm in the research phase right now. And I try to keep all the, the package includes airfare and uh, JR Rail Pass and uh, all kinds of stuff, a um, couple of classes a week. Uh, if you want to do more, if you want to keep up with my training schedule, then some, a lot of the classes are going to be paid out of pocket. But um, the um, uh, I put everything together because I, I've been there so often that I can I can put things together, do it on a budget, and it is a full training trip. So. In addition to training with certain dice, uh, Japanese Daishihan and now Soke, right? Um, I'm going to try to arrange for a lunch or something with Hatsumi Sensei. No guarantees. I mean, I don't know what his health is going to be like. I mean, he can always say no, whatever, right? Um, 
So no guarantee on that. But um, we also travel and um, I act as your tour guide and your educator um, at uh, certain significant or a certain historical uh, places significant to our art. Okay, so um, I'll have you up on Togakure, which is now called Togakushi Mountain, right, at the three shrines up there, the Ninja Museum, which is also the Togakure Mountain Museum. Um, we're going to go to Nijo Castle in Kyoto that actually has a real nightingale floor that you get a chance to walk on. That's a cool thing. It was invented by uh, Hotori Hanzo, uh, head of the Iga clan. A um, bunch of uh, temples and things like that that are, that are significant to, or uh, connected to what we're doing, uh, stuff like that. So it is a full-on uh, training trip, right? So um, what we're going to be doing here uh, so I, it, I'm really tied up with this house thing, so I'm hoping to do it next month, but it might be early in March where – no, I'm going to probably do it next month – where I'm going to have a, um, a, a an online uh, session where I will be outlining the trip, right, the, exactly what we're doing, and I'll be showing things like what a JR Pass is and, and those kind of things, right, and then uh, letting people know, look, this is what – is what the down payment is, is what the, the total thing is, because I have to project forward to make sure that, like, I don't lose anything, right, um, with yen exchange and, and all that, right? And I'm just not a big fan of, like, hey, I'm going to Japan, this is, you know, uh, if you want to come, uh, whatever, because people can often, you know, just feel lost and whatever, right? So I want you to not have to worry about navigating the culture and, and those kind of things and set things up so that um, you can just focus on learning. Right. Just focus on um, getting the most out of the trip, filling up notebooks and all that kind of stuff. Right. So anyway, I'll do one of these things. And then anybody wants to jump on and reserve. Uh, there's a limit of eight spaces max. OK, I'll let everybody know that as well. And um, then, you know, we'll have, uh, you know, I, I already know a couple of guys that I have that are just they're going to plunk down the whole thing because they're just ready to go. Uh, we'll set up a payment plan for those who need it, whatever. Um, but once you're in, uh, short of dying or being like extremely ill and they won't let you in the country, um, you're in. Because once I start having to pay for things, um, then we're in, right? Uh, and then uh, closer to the trip, we will have a series of sessions where they will be classes where I will teach on Japanese culture, etiquette, those kind of things, so people don't go as foreign tourists slash boneheads, right, and being an, uh, an embarrassment to the Bujinkan, uh, me, the dojo, Hatsumi-sensei, whatever, right? So we can be clear about things. That way, um, you know, we can, again, have the best time, right, and, and do our thing, okay? Um, by then, there should be an itinerary all done up so we can walk through that. But that would be just for the people that have that have signed up for it. So um, that would be a regularly scheduled thing, right? Of course, the classes will be um, recorded, but in that in that little frame kind of thing, um, I'm going to have to put some checks and balances in to make sure that people are actually watching the damn videos um, and uh, learning the things. Because I promise, if you get to Japan and it's obvious that you haven't you and I are going to have a very different conversation. And I know I'm old, fat, and bald, 
but I promise you the conversation will still happen. Okay? So uh, I have already over the over the past bunch of years that I've taken people, um, I've only had a problem with two people. And when I say that I had a problem, I don't, I don't get irritable because somebody slipped here or there or whatever. It's not that kind of thing. These people were to the degree where we had the conversation, and the conversation included, don't come back to the dojo. We're done. There were only two out of all the people I've taken to Japan. So I'm pretty patient, right? But I want to do these things so that people are not just going in blind, right? So we'll talk about uh, really cool uh Souvenir kind of thing you can create for yourself, right? That's very, very, uh, tailored to the, to the trip. And, um, it's, it's something that's going to last longer than, you know, look, I brought back some mochi, right? Or <laughs> whatever, right? All right. So that's it. That's all I have for this one. So if you're interested in any of those things, right? Um, send in some emails, uh, to let us know, right? If you want to be considered for, any of these things, fall camp, spring camp, whatever, because we'll put you on an early notification list to make sure you know first, right? So to do that, um, shoot an email to Warrior C. That's W-A-R-R-I-O-R. I'm hoping that everybody knows how to spell warrior. The letter C at warrior-concepts-online.com, okay? Um, you can also post on the Kuden page or the YouTube page, whatever, um, in the comments. We'll try to catch up on those things, but the best way to get in and get on the list is to send an email, basically a letter of intent, right, that I want more information about these things or um, please put me on the early notification list or whatever so that uh, we have an idea uh, about how that's all going to work. Okay, that's it. James, anything else come in um, while I was yakking? No, sir. No, they're all fried. All right. I apologize. Not really. Okay. So, uh, next, uh, two episodes, we're going to be talking about, um, two different, uh, mental perspectives, right? Uh, mind like water and mind like the moon, right? Those kind of things, right? I can't remember exactly which order I put them in. Um, but we're going to take a look at that. So, um, if you're not really into the whole mental side of training and life mastery and that kind of aspect of one of the required uh, categories for ninja training. There's three aspects, right? Um, then probably best not to jump onto those things. But um, but anyway, that's that's what's coming up next, and um, hopefully we'll see you. Got some weird noises going on. Anyway, all right, that's it. Uh, nothing else? No, sir. No? All right. Well, guys, thank you for being on again, and uh, we'll talk to you next time on Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio, subscribe through your favorite podcasting site, or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.